Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, in through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth True Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Dustin Miles uh, from Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area. Dustin is just so full of entrepreneurship. I'm going to go through in a short while, I know what are the things he did. I mean, he have done like almost almost $100 million in assets, 11 syndication. And he, you know, he was known as the candy man when he was age eight and he sold some Pokemon cards and, uh, you know, all kind of things he has been doing this for some time so uh, i'm, I'm going to get him to speak for himself on his uh, you know on his journey until now hey dustin welcome to the show yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks for coming on so why not you tell our audience about yourself and especially on how did you grow up being an entrepreneur because it looks like you have a lot of entrepreneurship signals yeah you young. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i mean my my dad you know owned a, a comic book store slash uh, costume store so that i may have gotten the the bug from him a little bit but Hmm. yeah when i was a little kid i had a candy business and my bus driver called me the candy man So I, I did, I made about, you know, I was eight years old, made about 50 bucks a week and I sold blow pops, Jolly Ranchers, Laffy Taffy. And so I'd go by in, in my room in the corner, I had, you know, boxes and boxes of candy and then I'd take it to school with me and then, you know, sell it while I was there. Uh, that lasted until the school told me that either they were going to kick me out or, uh, or I'd stop selling candy. So I stopped selling candy. So. <laughs> So I, I think it's just because I was closing in on their uh, their their profits and their territory. But you, you were competing with the school, apparently, yeah, and they <laughs> they shut me down. <laughs> so what, like, what? I mean, did you like um, like when did you realize that that you have this entrepreneurship bug on adult life? Right? Uh, was it like you already know it as you're growing? Yeah, this is how I'm going to be. I'm going to be doing some business, or yeah, the revelation I, happened during your adult life. Yeah, I'm yeah I don't. There's a there's a video of me and a friend of mine when we're about seven or eight years old and we're talking about the businesses we're going to build one day. Oh, which cool. That's kind of a little uh, maybe abnormal, but I you know I I had a candy business i bought and sold baseball cards mowed lawns whatever you could do to make money i was i was trying to do it um and then i you know i i was so i guess i was a weird kid i'd ride my bike around i live in fort worth and i grew up here so i'd ride my bike around fort worth kind of wondering you know who owns all of these large buildings and all that and honestly i kind of assumed it was very large businesses and then i had 
I played soccer with a kid that his his family owned some of these large buildings. They owned a skyscraper, and I think they still own it today in downtown Fort Worth. And I remember you know going to their house and seeing you know the size of their house and all that. And so you know, kind of very early on in my head, I was like, hey, you know, this is very. You know, I was eight years old at the time, but you know, in my head, I was like, if, if they can do it, they're normal people. They you know put you know put their pants on just like normal people they can't fly or anything like that and but my head i was like if they can do it i can do it because i was better than their kids soccer so <laughs> that's good that's good so can you give an advice for a parent right now i'm sure a lot of parents are watching uh listening to this uh youtube or podcast right i mean how would they identify the entrepreneurship in their kids Yeah, I mean honestly, I would say it's it's a heck of a lot easier today. I mean, you know, you can go be a YouTuber. I mean, there's there's Ryan's Toy Review. That that kid's raking in, you know, 15, 20 million a year. So, uh, I I would say it's it's easier than ever. But I would just, you know, you I mean, I have I have a 9-year-old son, so I get it. I want to, you know, try and, you know, protect him from whatever, you know, the uh thing, you know, some of the things out there and all that, but I would, you know, I guess try and help foster in a uh, safe environment help foster that entrepreneurial spirit and whether that's you know starting a youtube channel whether that's you know making something and and maybe uh you know putting it up on etsy or putting it you know or doing you know buying products and do, building a brand and all that and selling it through amazon i guess i would just you know encourage to help foster that where possible got it got it got it yeah it's a uh, it's interesting i mean me growing up i didn't do like what you did in the beginning but i uh, you know at some point I think i had my teenage life i start selling like you know buy wholesale and sell retail and no, none of my friends were doing it and i didn't realize until recently oh that's what i was doing okay so i was like always trying to do business since early age um obviously you started much earlier but i'm just trying to find out like how do we find that characteristics in our kids because uh, not everybody will be an entrepreneur right but there are kids who are, who are born and who likes to do that kind of job and just trying to like identify that early on so that you can foster them right and nurture them that skill right so so tell me about your journey in real estate i mean um you're almost of like 100 million in asset and you've done total 11 syndication so let's start with your first real estate venture where did you where did you get started and i presume you had a w2 job at that time how did that aha moment came up yeah so i i i guess but you know just a little bit before real estate i i'd read a book and and i like you know as as i showed kind of always you know been entrepreneurial but you know really the the drive for passive income you know started when i read this book it was called your money or your life and you know what i mean you know quite quite the title right and so i read that and you know probably 2008 or so before i was interested in real estate before that but once i read that book i know a lot of people point to the the purple book um the i'm i'm drawing a blank on his robert name. kiyosaki yeah robert kiyosaki rich dad poor dad yeah so a lot of people point to that book is kind of the eye opener so this this uh you know 
know, your my your your life was kind of the eye opener for me. And I don't I didn't agree with every their premise. Basically they were they were like never buy a new computer, you know, um, never go to Starbucks, you know, like like cut all your you know, slash all of your expenses and all that. And and while I'm you know, I mean I, I drive uh you know, I drive a Honda Accord, I'm not an extravagant, you know, type of guy. Uh that's just not for me. But and you know, I, I don't but I, I believe in enjoying, you know, some things too. I mean, uh, you know, I have a newer phone and you know, and I like to travel and stuff like that. And um, but you know, that was kind of an eye opener. I didn't like I said, I didn't agree with the premise, the way they went about it, but I like the just that the thought that um, you know, hey, when you, you're you know, kind of associating, you're really just paying attention to just being intentional about, you know, developing that that passive income was, was kind of uh, what what came from that. But uh, but yeah, first real estate venture, um, I went through a, a few different real estate clubs. I was started out in, in single family, like a lot of other people. I went through a few different clubs, didn't really have a whole lot of success. We hired a few mentors, didn't work out. Um, and, and honestly, kind of, you know, was, was, you know, kind of starting to get fed up with it and thought it was, you know, thought maybe it was just a, a group full of shysters or something. So, uh, but we, we went to a group, um, I went to Lifestyles Unlimited and I, uh, ended up making, I started out in single family there and ended up making, uh, 50 offers on single family homes before landing my, my first rental. And so I got a, some sort of perseverance award through them, but, you know, I ended up doing about half a dozen rentals or flips. And then I was like, this is cool. Made a little bit of money, but this is a lot of work. I had, you know, full-time W2 at the job, you know, at the time. And it was, you know, anytime lunch breaks and weekends and my off Fridays, I was going to check on, you know, the uh, rehab process and all that. It was, it was a lot of work. Got it. Got it. And so let's go into your apartment. I mean, what is the biggest size apartment that you own right now? Uh, 228 units is the largest uh, uh, done. And um, yeah, so I started, uh, started investing passively. First deal I was passive in, I was a KPN um, nine years ago, close to 10, close to 10 years ago. And uh, so did that. And then, you know, and actually still in that deal today, which has been fantastic, you know, just happened to buy at the right time. So that helps. Mm. But, you know, I got into a few passive deals and then I put together my first syndication in 2014. So it was 109 doors and, uh, and that was outside of uh, Lifestyles. Um, it was with, uh, with another group. And um, so anyways, but, you know, uh, part of that group and put the deal together, raised about 1.7 million. And uh, we held that deal uh, for almost five years. Got it. Got it. Got it. So let's go into a bit more detail, right? So, so when you look at a deal, I say today brokers are sending you emails, right? And what do you look for in that email? I mean, honestly, before I'm really digging into the numbers, you know, I'll, I'll kind of look and see, you know, once I get the whisper and all that, um, I'll kind of just, you know, hey, does this, is it a, you know, I'm going to give, you know, use DFW numbers. You know, if it's a C deal and and they're wanting 120 a door, I'm probably going to quickly not look at that one. Well, that's uh, the reality right now, right? In Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> close. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not paying, you know, because you're, you're, you're not, not the guy to pay for it, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're you're not too far away from what it costs to build at that point. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I don't uh, subscribe to that. But uh, but anyways, so you know, I'm really the first thing I'm really looking at is in the area because you can put all this money into a property, you can put all this money into a rehab, but you can't change the area, you can't change your neighbors, you can't change the school it's owned to, and you know you can change maybe the the tenant base a little bit, but the area is what the area is, and so uh, really focusing on the area, looking at, you know, looking at the, if I don't know the area really well, I'm looking at the crime, household income, I'm looking at the schools, I'm looking at Google reviews. Those are kind of things we look at initially. So is there, is there any turn off saying that, oh, I didn't like, you know, this one or two things and I'm going to shut down and look for, for another deal to come up? Yeah, uh, we, you know, so we, it, it, it depends on how far off it is. If, mm-hmm. if it's, you know, we kind of have a target household income um, and so if it's close to that, we'll kind of keep looking at it. If there's a lot of, we'll pull up some crime mats. If there's a lot of crime in the area, it's a, it's a no go for us. We, you know, um, just won't, won't go there. So, but, um, you know, if, if, if it's close on income and, and crime looks, uh, favor, you know, favorable and as in not a whole lot of crime and the schools look decent, then, but maybe not, you know, where we'd like them to be, then we'll go ahead and move forward. We'll go ahead so, and start looking at more. What software or website do you use to check for crime? Oh gosh, it's uh, I think it's Community Crime Map, or okay. I, I can't, okay. I have it fine. saved. I can't remember. That's fine. So, what do you look for in a crime? There's property crime. There's other crimes. Do you look for all crimes, or do you look for specific crimes? Do you look for frequency, or what do you look for? Yeah, I mean, we're we're looking at all crimes, but you know, it, it obviously, if there's some, uh, you know, more uh, harsh crimes, uh, you know, murders or shootings and things like that uh then you know that's well you know that's a no-go pretty quickly so but if it's for instance close to a mall the likelihood that there's some theft going on there is is going to be you know fairly uh fairly high so you know we'll you know we we take things into consideration it's not complete um oh there's you know oh there's a, a theft over there you know we're we're completely done we kind of you know look at look at the whole story and just see what makes sense got it got it so let's go to household income what household income do you target and why do you target that we uh we're we're around the 75k mark with that uh you know and, and it depends on what metros are you know you're in right if, if you're in la at 75k that's you know it's very different than than dfw so or houston um so you know we we're kind of looking at at that is the the average you know that not the median but um so we're we're looking at that it, it that helps you know sometimes not always but sometimes that you know is an indication of uh, sometimes what the school look like you know but uh in general you know we want to make sure that people are are making enough to where because we're we're more focused on the in the past it's been more bc uh we're looking more a b now and you know we want people that that can afford you know those those are higher rents than than your cb you know, particularly your c counterparts um or at least they should be and so you know we need folks that can you know support those rents yeah that makes sense that makes sense so you're looking at dallas is that right right now uh there are probably our main focus is houston dfw okay. and then austin san antonio in that order okay and why are you not looking at dallas anymore I said, oh I mean, no why? we're looking at we're looking at yeah dfw so dallas. why did dallas drop to number two why houston uh, what do you see in houston market the 
the cap rates in general are a little more favorable there. Um, you know, Houston generally lags Dallas in terms of cap rates. If you look at the CBRE cap rate survey, you you know you see the same thing. But DFW is seeing, but actually all markets uh, from what we've seen, we're seeing you know uh, cap rates compressed even even further. So, uh, but the the reason why is we we just see more opportunity down Houston right now. Um, we think there's uh, you know we just we just think that there's there's uh, yeah just more opportunity and and part of the reason why is um, you know down in Houston you're you're not seeing kind of larger some of the larger players uh, some of the Wall Street folks um, are not not in Houston right now and uh, so that's we we think that's kind of given us some opportunity to to pick up some deals. So Houston is a tricky market because you know there's no zoning you know different sub markets are different right so yep. how do you let's say today you get a deal from an email from a broker on a deal in houston what would you first look for uh well it it helps that my business partner's from houston oh good <laughs> so uh i'll say that's kind of you know probably you know part of the our secret weapon and then we have it, his parents are still down there. He's he's up in DFW, but his parents are still down there, so that helps a lot. Um, and then our management company is based in Houston, and so that you know that that helps a lot. They you know we can call up a regional and be like, hey, what, what do you think about this property? And so we've you know we've been working with them uh, for for quite a while, but um, you know I, I would say we know a lot of the the areas well enough. You know, of course, before we offer and all that, we want to go take uh, you know a look in person and all that because you can you can only see so much from Google Street View. Yeah, when we first get a deal, we pretty well understand whether it's a deal that we would want to be in or not. And plus, we can you know the the broker is going to put. You know, they'll put and we'll pull up the crime. We'll pull up the address. We'll look at the crime statistics, and then we'll be able to know whether that's a deal that we want, you know, potentially be in or not. So, got it, got it. And now, do you worry about some of the um like flood zones in Houston? Do you check for that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and you can typically see that pretty quickly on their P and L. You know, just look look at the insurance cost, and then you can okay, this is yep, this is a flood zone, and that one's not. So that's okay. Yeah, part of the criteria that that we look for, we you know we don't want to you know, and they the the Houstonians kind of poke fun at, at us that uh, you know we don't want to be in the flood zone, but <laughs> they're so, so used to it, I guess. They're, they're so yeah, yeah, they're 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 that's how they tell uh, that people you know because uh, they get a lot of Dallas buyers and stuff, so they mm-hmm. go, well, you're you're obviously from Dallas. So. <laughs> <laughs> they say but, we all uh, swim here, right? All right. our res- all our residents are trained to swim, you know. No right. Yeah, they have a boat. Our apartments float when it floods. <laughs> <laughs> so not a problem. Yeah. We'll just buy more insurance. I mean, yeah, flood zone, I mean, if you're used to it, I mean, you're okay with the flood. And if your investors are okay, probably it's okay. Yeah, well, it, and it's tricky because some of the complexes didn't flood because of, the, because of Harvey or because of the flood. It flooded because they let some levees open. Mm. 
which is yeah and then there's lawsuits around that right so it gets it gets tricky but yeah we're we're not wanting to be in a flood zone and and even you know like the deal we just closed uh two months ago it's not in a flood zone but we went and flood insurance is super cheap if you're not in a flood zone so but we went ahead and bought flood insurance just in case yeah just in case yes case so market is so hot right now you're still looking for deals are you doing anything differently to get deals in this hot market we we talked to a lot of brokers and because we just closed a deal pretty recently in houston it you know we you know kind of put us on i guess some preferred list and so you know we're getting some early looks on deals uh we're you know we're talking to we call brokers pretty frequently hey what you got down the pipe and all that is there anything we can drive is there anything we can underwrite so um we're yeah I, i'm sure that's what everybody else does too but we're frequently contacting you know brokers and you know and sometimes even talking to our management company hey you know because they manage quite a few deals down there you know hey are you hearing anything coming out soon let us know um so yeah we're always or you know we're also talking to our uh mortgage brokers you know that that uh work down there hey do you hear you know are you hearing anything that's coming out so we're always you know trying to go through kind of some unconventional avenues to see if there's uh some deal flow coming up yeah and and you said my our management company do you do your own management or you do third party just their base no we work with a third party yeah Okay, they're just based out of okay, okay, okay. So let's go to a bit more personal side. I mean, you have your whole life you've been doing a lot of entrepreneurship and went into W2 now. You are full-time uh, doing this, right? Um, was there any specific moment throughout your real estate career that you are really proud of and you can never forget about it? Um, Something that you're going to tell your grandkids. Yeah, that I, that I did that. <laughs> Um, I don't yeah I don't know if I really have a uh, one of those uh yet per se I mean it it was uh you know I I guess there was one deal and you know and it, our returns were not stellar but I I was really proud of the fact that it it was it was a hard deal and I put a lot of effort into it to make sure it it went well and we had no cap rate compression at all so it, you know this is in Oklahoma we ended up investors and ended up netting i said not you know i think it's good return especially now but we they ended up netting a 65% return um over about 3 years uh 3 3 and a half years so a little under you know 20% per year but uh we we bought it in eight cap and we sold it in eight cap no cap rate compression Got so it. uh so i was i was pretty oh, i was i was pretty excited about that i mean i had i've had some other deals where we've had plenty of cap rate compression i you know 2 and 3x right but that there was no cap rate compression there and it was kind of honestly we we had a really tough time um that was one deal that really taught me about location 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 we uh we had a tough time moving the the rental income we uh we instituted billing back of water we did a uh, water conservation as well and then the probably the biggest thing that helped move the needle was they had uh, not just a basic cable contract but they had extended cable so mm-hmm. it was i forgot how much the property was paying per unit but uh it retailed this extended cable rate retailed for like 60 70 bucks a month is you know quite a bit and they were giving it to the residents for free and i'm you know if that was the market cool no one else was doing that so and i knew when 
when we were underwriting it, I was, when I was underwriting, I knew when it was going to end, the cable contract was $42,000 a year. And if, if you divide 42,000 divide by an eight cap, it's over half a million in value. Well, you know, the raise was 1.5 million. And so, you know, made a 30% return on doing nothing, you know, basically just, you know, me just signing something saying we're canceling this contract. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I mean, I want to make sure the audience and listeners are clear when you say there's no cap rate compression, you bought an eight cap, you sold an eight cap, which means that 65% that you guys have, have made in that deal is purely value add by your mm -hmm. own sweat equity, right? And, and yeah. that's something that, you know, I want to make sure that we, we delineate from a lot of people who said I made 2x, 3x in the market because a lot of it's cap rate compression, mm -hmm. right? It's not maybe not their own effort. Right. That's just pure luck, right? And what you did is not pure luck. It's basically, you know, your effort and your team's effort, I guess, which is a, which is a really good thing. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell us about your website and, and how can our audience and listeners uh, reach out to you? Uh, yeah, our, our website is MomentumMultifamily.com. My email is just Dustin at MomentumMultifamily.com. And, you know, we just, we, we work on, it, you know, just educating folks, uh, just trying to, trying to, you know, add value in the marketplace, you know, similar to, similar to James. And uh, we were honored to have before the pandemic, pandemic and all that we were honored to have you come up to dallas to, to speak so that was yeah. that was a lot of fun well well received a lot of people came out to see james i think i think we had over 100 people so yeah yeah uh, good. so good good turnout but um but yeah that's kind of kind of me in a nutshell and yeah living living in fort worth but uh went to school in, in your neck of the woods went to ut austin oh cool <laughs> you're austinite yeah. right so when you're talking about when i came down to dallas to talk mm -hmm. in your event i was just surprised to meet some people in that event who have never met, but they say they already know me because of my podcast. So all the people out there who are listening to my podcast, uh, hopefully one day we meet soon and uh, make sure you go and share the podcast and you know give some comments on YouTube or iTunes uh, when you see it for the podcast so that at least we know that someone is listening to my podcast. Awesome, Dustin. Nice chatting with you and yeah. thanks for coming on to the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.